Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host Denise Messenger for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Welcome, everyone. I'm so glad you're tuning in today, which is September 19th. 2018. Yes, we're almost drawing to a close of the year. I don't know where it went, but we've done an awful lot of great work this year. And our guest today, I'm so honored that he's taken time out of his writing schedule to um, come onto our show. We're going to be talking with John David Mann, and his biography is pretty amazing. You know, when he was 17, he started their own high school in New Jersey. And then he was also the recipient of the BMI Award for Student Composers, because that was a real passion of his, was musical compositions. He's had such a diverse career that I believe that it has enriched his life. And in turn, he's enriching ours. He now writes full-time, and we're going to be talking today about his book called The Recipe, which he co-authored with Charles M. Carroll, who's a chef. And it's a fascinating read, which I did, and I want him to share with you where the idea came from and why this particular subject matter that he chose to write about. So let's bring him on to our show now. Hello, John David Mann. <laughs> Hello, Denise. It's so great to be here. Thank you. Is there anything else in your background that you would like to discuss with our listeners before we proceed on about your latest book, The Recipe? You know, sure. Um, I'll, I'll say something there, which was at one point in my life, and this is when I was, oh, I guess 19 or so, uh, I played the cello. That was my instrument. And my, my dad was a conductor. My mom was a pianist. And I, I come from a musical family. So classical music was kind of my, it was my, my environment, my cocoon growing up. And I, it was my first love. And it's still one of my great loves in my life. And I was playing cello professionally. And I remembered the experience uh, of, of uh, sitting in the chair with my cello playing and, and to an audience of, I don't know, four or five, 800 people, a thousand, whatever it was, not huge audience, but 
playing and suddenly feeling like this is not enough. Uh, Like there were people out there that I was looking at who were enjoying the music. I knew they were enjoying it. I knew it was a good thing. I knew it was a beautiful thing, but they, they were just, there were too many unhappy people. And I had this sort of, I was struck with this sense of conviction that I needed to do something uh, uh, more to have an impact on more people's health and, and general state of happiness and well-being. And, and I don't want to, you know, make myself sound like a saint. It wasn't like some feeling of, of I had this noble obligation. It was like this wasn't satisfying for me just to play beautiful music. I felt like I needed to get my fingers in the larger situation. And so that's really, I think, what began my – I mean, I was going to be a concert cellist. That was my deal up at that point. But that's, I think, where I started to really pursue – looking at this sort of the state of, of human beings generally and kind of exploring ways to have an impact on that. How old were you at that time? I was probably 19, 19, 20, and I got very involved then in nutrition and natural health, and that was my pursuit for, for many years at that point. Mm, okay, okay. Interesting, isn't it? Well, you know, when we're young, yeah. I think that's the opportune time to explore the world. <laughs> <laughs> I must still be young because I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then that's a, it's a good beginning anyway. <laughs> yes. Good time to start. You got it. I appreciate that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when did the writing start? You know, I kind of backed into it. it I, there wasn't a moment where I sat down and said, you know, I think I want to do this. Actually, that isn't entirely true. There was a moment where, where I said I, I wanted to write screenplays. That was a plan at one point to become a, a Hollywood uh, uh, screenwriter. But um, over the years, I said I was involved in health. And in that world, I kept finding myself uh, sort of being the guy that edited other people's articles. I did a lot of editing uh, for a decade or more. I, and eventually I made my living oh. as an editor. I was editing editing articles in health, and then that migrated to business. I was editing articles in entrepreneurship and leadership and business. I got very involved in the network marketing world. But as a journalist, writing about that field and about what creates success in that field and what doesn't and so forth. And I was doing a lot of writing that was improving other people's stuff. And then I eventually Mm -hmm. found myself in, in partnerships with authors writing books and and honestly, Denise, that's been my career at this point. It still is. It's like I've, I've published over two dozen books, but every single one of them but one, almost every, every one of them has been a partnership with somebody else where I've done the lion's share of writing, but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm teaming with somebody else, which is the case with this book and, and with The Go-Giver, with my Navy SEAL books, with my memoirs, with, with all of them. Ah. So how did the recipe come about? You know, uh, I, the book that really, uh, I like to say that Bob Berg ruined my career. Bob Berg is my, my good friend and my co-author of The Go-Giver. <laughs> and what happened was I was on my way to Hollywood. I was, that was my plan. I was going to be a, a script, screenwriter. And Bob asked me if, he, if I would help him write this book. He, he had this idea for a book. And I edit, edited some articles of his. And he said, you know, I, I want to, I want to write this book, but I this is not the kind of book I write. This is not a how-to or a sales book or a leadership book. It's like a, a story. you got to write it. 
so we teamed up and we wrote this book, <laughs> which became The Go-Giver. And The Go-Giver took off, you know, sort of like a rocket ship or at least a pretty well-powered jet plane. And that has that book pretty much launched my career. Um, it's 10 years later now, and it's still going strong. We've got a, a number of other Go-Giver books in the set. And so The Go-Giver was getting out in the world, and this chef running one of the country's biggest country clubs in uh, Houston, Texas. This is the club where George and Barbara Bush used to hang out. Um, so very, you know, high society, uh, hoity-toity kind of country club in Texas. And Charles is this amazing guy who runs this his kitchen staff of, you know, it's close to 100 people, like 75, 80 people. And wow. he runs it almost like a dojo. Like it's really for him, it's like a leadership school. I mean, yes, they churn out. Uh, you know, thousands of meals every week, but he really runs it. He's got a thing about leadership. He really runs this place in a very, very inspiring way, bringing up young people. And he read The Go-Giver and he contacted me and said, I'd love to have you come out to the club and talk about The Go-Giver. And I got to tell you, Denise, I, I have no background as a professional chef, but I've been eating mm-hmm. food my whole life. <laughs> I love food. I mean, you've probably uh, been eating food your whole life, too. Uh, one of the things that my <laughs> wife and I love to do is is eat, and we also love to cook together. So I have this love of great food. And mm-hmm. when I heard that there was this uh, incredible, award-winning, internationally known chef who wanted me to come talk at his country club, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in. That's cool. So I, I flew over to Houston, <laughs> gave a talk in The Go-Giver. And while I was there, he said, I have this idea for a book. This is a sentence I've heard said hundreds of times, and usually it doesn't go anywhere. Sure. I had this idea for a book, and it was like Bob Berg all over again. He had this idea for a story about a young boy who's just lost his father and whose life is at a crossroads. He's kind of spiraling down the drain and getting in trouble at school, losing his grip on life, and broken up with grief and angry at the world. And that he crosses paths with this crusty old diner chef, very loosely based on events in Charles's life. Charles is not the kid in the book, and he's not the chef in the book. He's kind of a combination of the two of them. But the story was his invention, and and he said, I'd love to write it with you. It took us eight years before we both had a break in our schedule where we could sit down and start to talk about it. But that's – I was immediately captivated by this idea, and I know I just had to write that book, and so we did. Gee, eight years. Wow. Yeah, it didn't take eight years to write, mind you. It took eight years to no, I know. find yeah. a place where we could write. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and then we finally did, and we just we just uh, published it, you know, not, not long ago. So it's a long time coming. And there really are some great recipes in it. <laughs> I like you know, the way. Funny. It's true. You know, it tells yeah. a story, and then it has great recipes as well. It's really, really entertaining. Well, uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. And it's it's true. There are, I mean, every, we think everybody loves food. And Charles, I've cooked now with Charles a bunch in his kitchen. He's an amazing cook. We we the point of this of the book is the story. It's it's the journey the boy goes on. And the, you know, the subtitle of the book is it's called the recipe. The subtitle is a story of loss love and the ingredients of greatness and that's the purpose of the Mm -hmm. book is to talk about loss we've all experienced 
some kind of real meaningful loss in our lives, whether it was losing a parent or a spouse or a child or a friend or a sibling, or just, you know, we tore our knee in college and couldn't pursue that football career, or a friend betrayed us, mm-hmm. or we lost a business, or, or we lost a child, whatever. Everybody has experienced some kind of wrenching loss. And we wanted to, to show the journey of taking some kind of hardship like that and, and discovering, in this case, in a diner kitchen. But cooking is like a metaphor. It could be, it could be, in, it could be in karate, like the karate kid. It could be in martial arts. Mm-hmm. It could be in carpentry. It could be in painting. It could be in business. We use the example of cooking. It's this journey of finding the elements of greatness that you can glom onto and carve out really a beautiful life for yourself from a, from a place of adversity. But there are also recipes in the book. Oh, yes, you're right. In the back of the book, there's, there's a whole set of recipes uh, for dishes that we encounter in the book. And I, I hope that readers will have fun trying out those recipes in their kitchens. Oh, absolutely. I know I will be. <laughs> Just super... What was the um, the go giver about? The idea of the go giver was, of course, it's a play on the term go getter, and mm-hmm. uh, the the sort of the theme of the book. It's a parable, and so it's a story that aims to teach a lesson. That's what a parable is. Um, sure. And I have a lot to say about parables because there's so many parables have been written since you know, who moved my cheese and the richest man in Babylon and the one minute manager and, and uh, the alchemist. And there have been a handful of really uh, huge, amazing parables that have, have sort of created the field, but there are a lot of parables that, that aren't that interesting. And, and for me, the key is to a parable is you can't, it can't just be a, a thinly disguised lecture, you know, for a parable to work, yeah, you're teaching a point, and the point is the point. The lesson is the point, perhaps. But the story has to be real. The characters have to be real. You have to laugh and cry and, and be wrenched and be pulled and feel mm-hmm. triumphant. It's got to be a viable story because people learn through story. That's really the only way I think people genuinely learn is through compelling stories. So the, the idea of the go-giver is that when you take your focus off of yourself and put it on other people, um, in, in the sense of how can I add value to your life? What can I do today to make your life better? As opposed to mm-hmm. what can I do to life today to make my life better, right? That when you put your focus <laughs> on other people's interests, it's not just noble and nice and like a, quote, good way to be. It's also fulfilling. Mm-hmm. It's satisfying and it's effective. It's a way to be successful financially. It's the way to be successful socially. It's the way to, be, to, to live a successful life and not just a noble good life. This whole what we wanted to do with the go-giver was show that this whole idea that it's a trade-off that either you're out for yourself or you're out for others. It's one or the other. That either you're a mm-hmm. nice person who is penniless your whole life or you're a successful person who is out for number one. We wanted to bust those damaging myths and say, no, no, no. The real path we're talking about is being gregarious, interested in others, out for other people's interests in such a way that, in fact, it does also build your own success. So that's the – and, you know, it's funny because the book came out at the beginning of 2008, and 
months later, we were spiraling into, into the worst financial crisis of our lifetime. And That's over, right. over, 2000, over 2009, you know, suddenly people were losing their homes, losing their, their 401ks, losing their savings. Everything's going underwater. And we thought, oh, well, this book with its, you know, its principle of look out for other people and be generous and, and so forth is, is going to struggle. No, the opposite. It, it took off. It, it was like people became more interested, I think, in looking at their core values. And the book has just consistently done better every year since it came out. It, it didn't come out like a blockbuster hit. Um, it hit mm-hmm. the bestseller lists, but it wasn't, you know, gigantic. But it's, it's, it's one of those books that's grown and grown and grown and is more popular today than it was you know, when it came out. So we're, we're really grateful for that. It struck a chord with people. Hmm. That's really, that's really interesting. I uh, was having dinner with some friends last night and interesting enough, the topic of conversation was helping others. You know, I, I think it's and, the uh, idea that helping others, everybody wants to, I, I believe everybody in, in some place in themselves wants to be that person who, who, who made a difference. I have a psychiatrist friend. Actually, he calls himself a recovering psychiatrist. He's a, <laughs> he used to be a psychiatrist, and now he's, he works professionally as, a, uh, as an executive coach. He helps people uh, in, in sort of high corporate positions to clarify their, their values and, and live con- congruous lives and so forth. But Dave says that the greatest human need that yes, there's uh, food and reproduction and shelter and so forth, but that the the deepest, strongest, greatest human need is the need to feel like we made a difference. Like, to put it simply, mm-hmm. the need to feel that you matter, that the world is a different place and a better place because you're here. And I believe that everybody wants that. The problem is we've been taught this, what I call this treacherous dichotomy, that it's an either or, that if you look out for other people, then you're being sacrificial and you're being a martyr and that you're going to, you, you know, this, if you give, if you give, if you live a giving life, if you're a generous spirited person, you're going to get taken advantage of. You're going to end up with the short end of the stick. It's a dog eat dog world. We don't believe that. That's true. And we're not saying to give naively or to be generous naively. And we're not saying you should give your stuff away for free if you're in business. That's not the meaning of the go-giver. The meaning of the go-giver is when you live your life and execute your business even from the perspective of how can I add more value to other people, what you do is you make yourself more valuable. You make yourself a more valuable presence in the world. And you know, if you do that intelligently and strategically, then financially you make out well because people want to buy what you are, what you have. They want the service mm-hmm. you offer. You become valuable to the world because you're adding value. It's the same thing in a marriage. You become valuable to your family because you're adding value to it. So um, the Go-Giver book itself has what we call the five laws of stratospheric success. And, um, and the, the man, the story, Joe, who's having a crisis in business, he kind of goes through the process of learning these five laws from various uh, mentors and, and people that he encounters in the, in the course of the story. And he ends up, you know, uh, despite, almost despite himself, having a, uh, having a really successful twist of events toward the end. I can't tell you the end because, you know, that would be a surprise. That's right. No, you, no, you so, can't. <laughs> that's right. 
Well, let's get back. And you know, the, rest, go the recipe the, is the um, same book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, let's, let's get back to talking about the recipe. You know, um, in the book, the chef character, yes. he, he makes this comment. I believe it was like everything that you cook reveals everything that you are. That's exactly it. Yeah. What 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 is that? <laughs> you know, it's great because the boy has cooked a dish that he did that morning for breakfast for the breakfast rush that he thinks he did a pretty good job. He cooked his over easy. He thinks he was pretty hot stuff. And the chef takes the plate and puts it off to the back of the counter and doesn't serve it. And he later tells him that um, if you're angry, if you cook angry, then your plate's going to be angry. The people, the person who eats it is going to be angry. Everything you cook reveals everything you are. What that means is that when you produce something in the world, whether it's cooking or whether it's writing or whether it's service, like you're in, you're in retail, you're at the, at the register, whatever it is, whatever you're putting out into the world, you're putting a piece of yourself in it. Um, it carries mm-hmm. the vibration, if you will, of yourself in it. And uh, that, that people, whether they're conscious of it, consciously aware of it or not, People pick up on it. When, when you offer the world anything, a product, a service, an artistic creation, a project, what you're really offering them is a little piece of yourself that's wrapped in that, in that particular wrapping. And so, you know, the real idea of it is there, and this is something that, you know, artists, this has been a particularly big theme in, in Zen and in the, in the, in the Zen-related arts, but it's in every art. And every great artist and every even not so great artist knows this. Every actor, every dancer, every musician, etc. I'll go so far as to say every entrepreneur also knows this, that ultimately who you are is going to get transmitted through what you do. So you need to pay attention to who you are and how you're feeling. It's like you cannot fake it. You can think you fake it, and you can fool some of the people some of the time. But ultimately, mm-hmm. if you're upset – then it's going to come across. Um, your, your motivations, your intentions, and your state of mind, they really do come across. People buy you. They don't just buy your widget. Excellent. Very well said. <laughs> yeah, well, a related expression that he brings that... up. Go, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. yeah. I think you're going to talk well, about just... how to pay attention to the little things. Is that what you're going to talk about? Yes. Yeah, well, they, they, so many of the principles feed into each other. But the, the chef, who was this crusty old guy, uh, the chef at one point says, he cites this Buddhist expression, which is how you do anything or is how you do everything. Uh, the boy is asking if it really matters, you know, the, the attention he pays, pays to cleaning up his counter and the attention he pays to, to where he places the salt and the oil and the pepper and the this and that. And, and the chef basically says, the details matter because he doesn't use these words, but the smallest detail is going to reflect in, in, in everything else that you do. So there's a, there's a wonderful mm-hmm. book out which, which uh, uh, came from a uh, commencement talk that uh, the, it's Admiral William McRaven did. William McRaven is a, currently a, Navy, a retired Navy admiral, and he was uh, uh, a captain at the time my, my, my Navy SEAL buddy, Brandon Webb, I've written books, whom I've written books with. When Brandon graduated from sniper school, McRaven was, was the guy who signed his certificate. So Brandon had this great connection going back a long way. McRaven 
uh, gave this commencement speech some years ago, and it was on 10 ways to change the world. And the very first way of the 10 was, he said, if you want to change the world, make your bed. And he talks all about how the way that you make your bed, the way that you start your day, the way that you configure your environment, the way that you take care of your personal space has an enormous impact on the impact you have on the world. It's since become a best-selling book, and I wouldn't be surprised if he runs for president someday, and that's his platform. But anyway, that's wow. what the chef is saying. He's saying how you do anything, even something insignificant and seemingly small, like how, how you wipe the counter of your kitchen as you're cooking, how you keep your knife clean, how you chop your vegetables, how you make your bed, how you greet someone on the phone when they walk into your store, how you greet mm-hmm. your wife or your husband, your spouse when you get up in the morning, what you say when you're just about to leave the house, how you treat your pet, how you treat your child, how you do anything it has a huge impact on how you do everything. And so in a sense, you could take the smallest detail in your life, and by working on that, you can hugely improve yourself as a person. The way that I know this as a writer is that every time I start to write a book, I sit down to write a book, I get so overwhelmed that I almost get paralyzed. I mean, and, and this mm-hmm. doesn't just happen once, but day after day after day, I sit in my chair and I go, oh, i got to get this book to write. I have no idea what I'm doing, I'm a, I, and I think I can't possibly do it. I have to take myself by the hand and say, Johnny, you know you can't write a book. Actually, nobody can write a book. It's too big. What you can do is you can write a good sentence. And I have to, like, blot out from my mind the enormity of this book ahead of me, this mountain that I'm hoping to climb, and say, okay, I'm going to discipline myself to just write a good sentence, make it the best sentence it can be, and focus on that sentence. Uh, And then maybe I'll write a few more, and maybe by the end of the morning I'll get half a page filled with some stuff, most of which is bad, but a little bit of which is good. Mm -hmm. How I do that sentence is going to be how the whole book turns out. Um, so that's really what we're saying. You can, you can hugely change the course of your whole life by paying attention to the tiniest angle of the rudder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Pay attention to the, the smallest details. <laughs> he even says when you pay attention to the little things, the big things will tend to take care of themselves. And I, mm-hmm. I, I acknowledge that there are times in your life where you suddenly are, are faced with a huge decision. There, there are crossroads that you have to take, choices that you need to make. That does happen. But really, mostly I think, our lives are built out of tiny things, the tiniest steps. And if we take care of those, uh, how we conduct ourselves in those tiny steps, then by and large I think those big things will actually take care of themselves. Once you get to the big decision – it's almost already made because of how you've lived your life. Well, I think intention is an important part, too. Intention is one of my favorite words. It comes from roots that, 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 that mean literally the stringing of a bow. It's like an intention is you're stretching a string out to either pluck a note or shoot an arrow. And I, and I think that there's that stretched string of your intention I think is enormously, enormously powerful. I, I, I think it's mm-hmm. something that, that, you know, we almost, you and I almost can't emphasize too much. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And I think excellence also. 
You know, it's one it's one yeah. thing to to um, tackle a task or tackle a project, but you have to have the desire to want to achieve excellence in what you're doing. Yeah. You know, people have asked me um, many times, how did you end up writing a book with a with a yeah, country club chef? How did you end up writing books with a uh, Navy SEAL sniper? Because I will tell you, Denise, I am not a Navy SEAL sniper. <laughs> I have never Jeez. been in oh, the military. Navy SEAL sniper. I mean, I, Jeez. I'm a cellist. You know, I mean, you couldn't have a different background. Um, uh, and... Um, and by the way, just I'll just put this in as a footnote. The, the principal role of snipers isn't to shoot people. The principal role of snipers is to do reconnaissance and intelligence. Um, so, you know, what, what it actually looks like to be in the field of a sniper is, is largely it's like you're a, uh, an intelligence-gathering instrument, but I'm getting off on the side. My point is people have asked me, how on earth did you and Brandon – we've written five books together now, my, my seal, ex-SEAL friend and I. How on earth wow. did you, you click so well? And write all these books. Mm-hmm. And, and the first few were, were, were memoirs, were military memoirs. But the, but the mo- most recent book is called Mastering Fear. And the one before that is Total Focus. And they're books about you know, anybody in their ordinary civilian business life or, or whatever. It, it, they're not military books. But what, one thing that Brandon and I clicked on, it's the same thing Bob Berg and I clicked on. It's the same thing Charles, Charles, Chef Charles Carroll and I clicked on. It's exactly what you just said. We've all got this thing for excellence. We, we, whatever it is that we're doing, we really seem to have this sort of almost inbred genetic uh, passion for just doing it as well as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's something that we really click on, and it's something that I really pursue in, in every book that I write. I think it's so – I agree with you. I think it's so important. It, it, it's not – and excellence doesn't mean you have to be the best in the world. It doesn't mean you have to be super talented. It doesn't mean you have to be an amazing person. Mm-hmm. It means you have to have. It means you have to care. You have to have, mm-hmm. have or develop this sense of passion, this this uh, sense of excitement, and fulfillment about having done something really well, even if it's just, you know, what it is is the way that you swept the closet, you know, but you did it really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that. That is so fulfilling. That's one of those little things that determines, you know, that's like make your bed. Yes, and, and ex- excellence can be subjective. Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. Yep, yep. But as long totally. as you know that you, you put your best foot forward, that's what really matters. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because, uh, you know, there are lots of authors who, who have – had books out that sold a whole lot more copies than I did. And if, if my measure of excellence for a book was whether it hit the New York Times bestseller list or whether it sold, you know, 10 million copies or whether it, um, it may be into a millionaire or any of these, those so-called objective measures, they're just like so much dust in the wind. They, they're so meaningless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, it's, and I'm not, you know, it's not, that's not to poo-poo, numbers because I, I, you know, when I write a book, my intention is that a lot of people read it. So I, I am, it matters a lot to me that, you know, I'd much rather sell a hundred thousand copies of book, book than 1000 because that means a hundred thousand people got the book. And that's like what I want. That's my goal is to touch people, a lot of people. But yeah, the, the, the way that you measure excellence is not necessarily by society's standards. 
Mm-hmm. It really is. Why did you come up with the title, The Recipe? It's funny because it, 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 it took a long time. Some books, I mean, The Go-Giver, we had the title before we had anything else. Uh, and that's, mm-hmm. But The Recipe, we went through many titles, honestly. And, and it, it, was a, it was a book sort of in search of itself. We weren't honestly sure what we were writing at first. Uh, it, it took a mm-hmm. – sometimes, sometimes you don't know what a book is until you're in the middle of writing it and you kind of figure it out, which I think is how most of us live our lives. We're not quite sure what our lives are until we're in the midst of it. I'm 64 years old, and I feel like I've just started kind of figuring out, oh, this is who I am. <laughs> so this mm-hmm. book was like that. It didn't know what it was. What we realized in the course of writing it was that we were really writing about um, the boy's journey to sort of finding for himself um, a roadmap for a meaningful life for himself. And that roadmap became the recipe. And there's a, mm-hmm. a, a moment in the story, and it's funny, Denise, because this happens, you relate to this, it happens, I think, beginning of chapter two or the end of chapter two. It's very early in the book. But it's a reminiscence. The boy comes home from the diner. He's discouraged, upset, alone. And he has a memory of his dad coming down, coming into the kitchen and finding his dad there on a Saturday morning. Now, his father's died now, right? He's gone before the book began. But mm-hmm. this is his memory from a few years back. Comes in the kitchen Saturday morning. His father's making his father's famous oat blueberry pancakes. And it's a tradition, a family tradition, that every Saturday morning, the dad makes these famous, wonderful pancakes, and they bring them upstairs to his mom, breakfast in bed. And he asks, he goes through this routine of asking his father, you know, what makes the pancakes so delicious? Is it the flour? Is it the maple syrup? Is it the this? Is it that? And finally, his father leans down and says, Owen, the boy's name, Owen, the secret ingredient isn't anything in the pancakes. The secret ingredient <laughs> is, I get choked, I get choked up when I say this. The secret ingredient is who you're making them for. Uh-huh, and so that's uh-huh. that's the recipe. That recipe it is, by the way, the last recipe in the back of the book is that recipe for those pancakes, which is my my wife's pancake <laughs> recipe. But, but it, it's also oh on the God. cover of the book. If you look at the cover of the book, is a picture of those pancakes and that one that's that right, with the blueberries. And a cup of coffee. I, yeah. here, here, I'll tell you a secret. That scene wasn't in the first draft of the book. It was something that came in only later when we started really probing and saying, what was Owen's life like with his father? So the recipe, it's the actual recipe and the scene with his dad, it was something we, that, that we had to kind of tease to the surface and be patient with. And that's, that became, I think, the heart, the heart of the book. It's that, that recipe. The secret ingredient is who you're mm-hmm. doing it for. Well, it's, it's ironic because um... – you know, my father's no longer with us, but he used to make us pancakes every Sunday morning and spaghetti every Sunday night. <laughs> I love it. Oh, and so, you know, it. I have a lot of siblings, and and uh, one of my brothers, he just loves spaghetti. And, of course, I'm a champion of pancakes, although I don't eat them very often. <laughs> so, yes. It is. It is. You got to try, you mem- try these. You know, those are the, the important memories. Pancakes, Denise. These are really, really good. These oat pancakes in the uh, in the back of the book. They're 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 special. <laughs> Will do. You know, every like I said, I'm, every I'm really morning, looking forward to. 
Yeah. Every morning I bring my wife a cup of, uh, you know, when she's barely awake, I, I, she, she opens her eyes and there I am with a cup of hot tea. It's only tea. It's like a cup of green tea. But uh, she has, I have heard her tell, you know, a dozen friends about how, how, how delighted she is every morning. I bring her this cup of hot tea. It, the tea isn't the big deal. I mean, but she, although she loves that cup of hot tea and I usually bring a second and a third because we love our hot tea in the morning. But it's that, you know, you made it for me. You made it. I, I, I told the story of the recipe once in a radio show, and the host told me that when he was a kid, his dad used to serve them the special water. He would have this way of making this special water that tasted better than any other water. And they still kid him about it. As grown kids, they still go to his house and ask for special water. You know what it was? It was water with ice cubes in it. Like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was their dad put this water in this pitcher, and so it was this special water, and it was like stone soup, you know. It was a, so it, it's the it's the human interaction of it is uh is just can be so magical and so powerful. It 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 really is. Your wife doesn't get a stomach ache from green tea without anything in her tummy. No, and you know it, it's actually some mornings uh, make it very uh, mild, very for that very reason. I just dip the bag a few times, and boom, there you go. Everybody else, you can just wait. Uh. Denise and I are having a conference here about tea. Um, <laughs> so sometimes I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll make a it, cup and I say, I know it, this is too strong. You know, so. Yeah, because yeah, um, I can't factor. drink it on an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. I totally understand. I get the worst stomach ache. You know, I used to drink, I used to drink you know, coffee first thing in the morning. That's gone. I used to drink, then I used to drink black tea in the morning. Love it. Uh, can't do that anymore. Now I drink green tea in the morning. Love it. Yeah, I probably when I'm 90, I'll I'll drink uh, that guy's you know dad's special water or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whatever. Gra- no, I mean green tea uh, is really it's re- it's really good for you. It really is. Oh yeah. I just can't do it it's, on an empty tummy. I understand. You need you need some <laughs> of uh, Chef Thomas's famous oat blueberry pancakes in there first is what it is. I think probably. We're gonna tr- we're gonna totally try them. <laughs> we really will. They better be good, or I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. But it's the intention, right? <laughs> They'll yeah, taste great. Yeah, I think, yeah, well, the intention is certainly a big part of it. Execution, I think, is also, however, valuable. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's like, you know, you've, everybody these days has seen chefs, have seen mattress chefs on television because cooking shows are so popular. So, you know, most people mm-hmm. have seen the most ridiculously, uh, uh, you know, how do they do that? Like superhero kind of superpowers kind of cooking on television. When I had with Chef Charles, it's interesting because he, he is that level. He's won, uh, is it, I think, I forget if it's eight. I think it's eight gold medals at the Olympics. He's, he has been a world Olympian in, uh, in cooking. He's a world-class chef. He was the president of the World Association of Chef Societies, you know, for the last several years. So the guy is a world-class chef. When I cook in his mm-hmm. kitchen, I'm not, it's not so much dazzled by the fancy knife work or the fancy this or the fancy that. Watching the way he interacts with the ingredients is really special. It's so interesting. I, I bet mean, it would be really fun that, to watch. Oh, it is so much fun. Now, there's, there's definitely a skill there, 
and there's a lot of sensitivity in the timing of things. A lot of cooking is timing, honestly. Sure. A lot of great cooking is patience, yes, and a lot is. of great cooking is timing. But yeah. the way that he he kind of babies and coddles and, and is, is like intimate with the ingredients, it's really it's almost like watching a potter making something out of clay or watching, you know, someone finger mm-hmm. or something. It's mm-hmm. really, really, really very cool. So uh, we did do a few videos I put them on the book's website to uh, to show chef cooking, um, but it, it doesn't even that. Oh, doesn't do okay. To and what's that? And yeah. tell tell our listeners what the um, website is. Ah, it's from the subtitle of the book. It's theingredientsofgreatness.com. Oh wow, that's great. I like that. I really like that. Hmm. Yeah, we had fun building that. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add today? We've covered a lot of territory, that's for sure. Well, I guess I guess I just want to say that, um, you know, I guess I'll say two things. One is that, as I said, parables have been around, obviously, since the Bible. And, 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 and right. you know, going back to the dawn of time, human beings have, li- have, have lived and learned with parables, you know, forever. Um, to me... Uh, I love writing parables because I love the power of these simple principles, these simple lessons. But as I said before earlier, and parables got to if it doesn't move you, then it's not doing its job, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just a disguised lecture. And most people don't really care for lectures. <laughs> so um, I True. hope that, that anyone anyone who does read the book, I hope that the book moves you. I will tell you that if I didn't cry while I was writing it, I know you wouldn't cry while you were reading it. I cried a lot. Uh. But it, 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 uh-huh. it isn't just that it's sad. I mean, it's not, it's not fundamentally mm-hmm. a sad book. It's, it's a book of triumph, and it's a book of joy. There's real tragedy. There's real growth. There's real difficulty. Um, and there's real triumph. And I, I just hope that people um, will be uplifted and inspired by, by the story. And it is uh, in discussion right now. It's probably going to be made as a film. So a film version will be coming yes. out in the years ahead. Yes, I, 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 that was going to be my next question. <laughs> There's, uh, there was a, a, there was an excellent film that was made, and it took place over in Europe, and I can't remember the name of it. And they really didn't have hardly any characters involved. It was actually, hmm. I think, a young guy, and the chef, and another mm-hmm. woman. Gosh, I oh, wish boy. I could remember the name of it. That actress is quite famous too, who played the ah. lead. Chef Charles would know. But your book reminds me. Yes, ah. he would. Yeah, you should ask him because it was a great movie, very heartwarming. Um, or was it that they had? Maybe, maybe I'm starting to re- recall it. That they had an Indian family that was living across the road from. Oh, them. I know what you're talking about. And it was the, the Indian about. kid yep. who. Yep. The Indian kid yep. went and learn from from the woman chef. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I cannot pull it up for the life of me, but I, I know exactly what you mean. It's I know. There have been a handful. Yes. Funny, funny thing is, there have been a handful of these, but, but not that many. You know, a handful, but not that many. That's you know, true. You know, there's Ben. That's very you know, true. You know, Spanglish. Spanglish was about mm-hmm. a chef, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Adam mm-hmm. Sandler was a chef, and, and, you know, there were a bunch of others. But uh, that have been very, very good movies. We, we, uh, 
we aspire to join that group though. And we've got a, we've got a wonderful production company with a, with an A-list actor um, who is very excited about the book, who happens to have an, an old family connection with Chef Charles up in Vermont. And they are, uh, they're in love with the book and they're working right now with, um, with, with backers to assemble the, the funds to start shooting. So we've got a committed crew and a committed production company. And I can't tell you when it will be. Will it be in 2019? Maybe probably 2020 is more likely, but it's, it's coming. It's coming around, around the bend. I can't wait. That is <laughs> going to be just great. Can't wait mm. to see it. Can't wait to see it. I think the movie was called the hundred foot journey. Oh, that rings it was a bell. done in 2004. Yeah, ah, a family, they, they left yeah. India, they went to France, and then they opened their restaurant, and it was right across the street from yeah. like a, a four-star eatery. Well, food is that so basic to human existence. I mean, they, I've always, it's always felt to me like the kitchen is the center of the home, and, and I don't mean that just in a sentimental way, but it, kind of a functional way. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I do think that I do think that in terms of family life, and whether that's just a, you know a couple, two people, or or a larger family unit, I think that the you know experience of cooking together, eating together, is has always been and is such a powerful glue um, in in families. And there's this there's this you know uh, back uh, farm to table movement now that's so strong in this country and and in other countries that I think is such a healthy thing for the for the world because. Um, you know, with the, the explosion of fast food restaurants and, and easy ways of eating out and frozen food and so forth over, over the last two, two, three generations, there's almost like a, re- a reaction or a response or a, a, a pendulum swing going the other way now of people wanting to experience fresh ingredients, wanting to actually get their fingers in the dirt, wanting mm-hmm. to cook things themselves, be in their kitchens, cook mm-hmm. together, eat together. I think the whole, the whole uh, uh, food network craze all the, the cooking shows yeah they're silly in, in one way and they're kind of showy in one way unrealistic entirely in many ways but i think at heart <laughs> they're 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 really they really exhibit and they're and they're an expression of a really healthy impulse which is you know we can tune in on our television sets to watch you know police solve a murder and that's cool we can watch people have a contest and that's great we can watch you know a, a family laugh and cry and have a sitcom and that's great but Food is like we want to get educated about how to cook, about how to get back in our kitchens, mm-hmm. feed each other, mm-hmm. feed ourselves. And, you know, your show is, is normally all about health. And there's, there's nothing more fundamental to health than what we eat and how we eat it. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about, you know, the, the most modern of, of surgical, surgical interventions or acupuncture, acupressure, uh, the yellow emperor, Chinese herbs, any kind of medicine, none of it is as fundamental to human experience as the food we put in our mouths every day. And that's the fundamental way that you create your health is with your food. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, excited about, I'm excited about this. Yep, yep. From the soil well, thank to, the, you. Uh, to the body. Thank you, thank you, thank you, John David Mann. It's been really wonderful interviewing you. And um, You are so welcome. Continue on. Can't wait to read your uh, next book. <laughs> no, no worries. I will definitely continue on. It's in the pipeline. It's coming out. You know, it, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm blessedly busy, putting out book after book after book. 
And um, for the listeners, they can purchase your book, The Recipe. I assume it's on your website, but it's probably on Amazon, everywhere else, correct? Yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere, all the book sites, uh, books are there. And also if people want to see um, what my other, my other titles are, my website is just my name, johndavidman.com, and all my books are there. Thank you. Have a wonderful evening. Make some you good too. food. Thank you so much. <laughs> I will. I okay. will. I'll be thinking of you the next time I eat those pancakes. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Take care, Denise. You too. All right, that wraps up our show. Please join us again next week. We're going to have another great one for you on Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Center Time. We never disappoint. Take care. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer? Now What? for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.